Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard to episode 12 of the Dropkicks and Attractions podcast. I am, of course, your host with the most, the Prince of Pop Culture, and yes, I do have a crown now, Xander Invictus, joined by my close personal friend and co-host, Big Bok. How are you, sir? I am wonderful, thank you. Are you doing okay, too? Oh, you have no idea. No, I probably don't. Oh, you will, and everybody will by the end of this episode, because... After we all can agree that I did not like Say by the Bell of the College Years last 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 episode. And you convinced me about how bad it was too. Uh yeah, this is the total opposite because I am so excited. We are gonna talk about legit, if not top five, one of my top three all-time favorite movies that I actually saw in the theater as a kid. That it's considered a classic everywhere. Jurassic Park. I am so freaking excited right now. I saw this one as a kid as well. It, it didn't capture me like it captured you, but I did love it. Oh, see, when I was growing up, like this movie came out June 11th, 1993. That was three days before my 11th birthday. So I'm 11 years old when I see it. I don't think we saw it my birthday weekend, but I know we saw it in theater. So I was 11 years old when I saw this. And I'm sure you remember this because you're a couple years younger than I am. In the early 90s, and I don't think it was because of Jurassic Park, but Jurassic Park helped. Dinosaurs are huge. Absolutely. I I think I think pretty much everybody our age went through a dinosaur phase. Oh, I did. We had I had the books and the t-shirts and uh everything. If it was dinosaurs related, I wanted it. Like even in the early mid-80s there was cartoons about dinosaurs, there was Dino Riders, there was Denver the Last Dinosaur, there was We're Back at Dinosaur Story was around the same time. You had Jurassic Park, which is now on its Six coming out, Jurassic the third Jurassic World movie coming out this year. Oh, really? I didn't realize that was this year. Yeah, it's coming out this year. Well, because, you know, the whole pandemic, a lot of things got pushed and moved around, but it's coming out this year. I've seen the trailer. I'm excited because a lot of the people in this movie are coming back for that one. Yeah, that I did hear. So, once again, it came out. Like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not even going to hide it. I'm going to fanboy through this whole damn movie. Not even going to hide it. I will not stop you. We are, once again, this came out June 11th, 1993, three days before my 11th birthday. I did see this in theaters, and I was huge in dinosaurs. I was, like I said, I got the books and everything. So when you were into it, like, so, when you're into something like that, and you get to see this movie for the first time in a on a big theater screen, to see those dinosaurs, especially that, T that famous T-Rex scene we'll get to, just to be able to, when he comes down and you see that eye, and you just see it on the big screen. You got to remember, you don't forget stuff like that. My mom said when the lights came up, I was just sitting there up there looking at the screen. My jaw was on the floor. Like this is a two hour movie. My mom said my jaw was just on the floor the whole time watching that movie. I can imagine. So, and once you, not, not just the cast, once you realize who helped put this movie together, there was no way this movie could have failed. Absolutely not. So we need, obviously we do want to talk about the director who was, Steven Spielberg. Do we need to talk about Steven Spielberg? I don't think so. Nope, we know about Steven Spielberg. It was actually produced by one of the producers, Kathleen Kennedy, who is now the current president of... That would be Lucasfilm, right? Lucasfilm. So uh, she's involved with a lot of the Star Wars stuff that's going on now. One of the... A uh, lot of the practical effects, because they did a lot of practical effects, animatronics, that sort of thing. For anybody that, like me, who follows special effects... Stan Winston worked on this movie. That was a name I wasn't familiar with. 
by the way, he's one of those, if you don't know, well, let's just, I got it pulled up here. Let's look at some of the movies he worked on. Ha, The Terminator, The Thing, Predator, Aliens, he won an Oscar for. He was nominated for Predator, nominated for Edward Scissorhands, won an Oscar for Terminator 2, nominated for an Oscar for Batman Returns, won an Oscar for Terminator, excuse me, for Jurassic Park, Oscar nomination for Lost World, Oscar nomination for AI. He also did Iron Man. He did Terminator 3, Jurassic Park 3. He did Galaxy Quest, which I love that movie's so good. He did The Wiz. He's got quite a resume. So, we got, what, one, two Oscar wins, one, excuse me, three Oscar wins, and then another one, two, three, four nominations on top. So he's... Nominated seven times and won four Oscars for his work. Nice. My man knows how to do some practical effects. On top of that, do you remember Bach who did the digital, a lot of the digital effects for this movie? That would be Industrial Light and Magic of Star Wars fam. And who's the man that basically invented Star Wars, who did invent Star Wars and Industrial Light and Magic? George Lucas. So we got George Lucas, we got Kathleen Kennedy, we got Steven Spielberg, we got Stan Winston. On top of that... And I don't think this man gets enough credit for what he did. The screenplay and novel was written by Michael Crichton. And I did read this novel as a kid. I probably haven't read it in a good 20 years. Michael Crichton is one of those authors I've, I've known about for a long time, but I've never been compelled to look into his work. A fun fact, he was six foot... He's no longer with us. He, he passed away in 2008. Uh, he was six foot nine. Wow. Yeah. Um, let's just go over some of the more well-known... Uh, novels he wrote. He's written 28 novels in his life. Uh, the Andromeda Strain, The Terminal Man, Congo, you know, the movie with the monkeys that has the lasers at the end? Oh, Sphere. yeah. He wrote Congo the novel. I've read it too. It's fan It's crazy. Sphere, Jurassic Park, Rising Sun, which became an action movie starring Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery. Ooh. Disclosure, which became a movie starring uh, Demi Moore and Robert Redford. Neat. The Lost World was actually a novel. That one I didn't know. Uh, Timeline, which was a Paul Walker movie. And then the last one I read of his that I remember reading was Prey. It had to deal with, like, nanobots and stuff. It was awesome. Cool. Uh, he also wrote uh, a lot of short fiction. He also directed Westworld. You know, the very popular HBO show that's out right now? Yes. He directed the movie... In 1973, starring Yul Brenner, the movie that the show's based on of. Really? He directed that. He, uh, not only did he write Jurassic Park, he wrote the script for the screenplay for Rising Sun. He produced Disclosure. He wrote and produced Twister. I know that movie. And he was the writer, creator, and executive producer of a little-known medical drama on TV called ER. Now that one I did not know. That's really cool. And he didn't direct them all, but let me just give you a list of the movies that are based off his works. The Andromeda Strain, The Terminal Man, The Great Train Robbery, Jurassic Park, Rising Sun, Disclosure, Congo, The Lost World, Sphere, The Thirteenth Warrior. He also wrote that book. Jurassic Park 3 was based on his characters. Timeline was the last movie that was made off of his work. Jurassic World was based on his characters. 
Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and now Jurassic World Dominion. Wow. Yeah. That man, I think, severely underrated, doesn't get enough love. So we, we I wanted to give that man a shout-out for, for the stuff that he did. Absolutely agree. That, w- that was well-earned well earned for him. And by the way, when he passed away, he was only 66. Oh, really? He was not very old. That's unfortunate. But it was just, the nice thing was, is that he wrote a lot of stuff, but they were all, like... They all had like a little science fiction edge to them, but they were all different. They all dealt with different things. Right. So, but yeah, I wanted to give a shout out because like I said, people know that he wrote it, but I don't think people realize just the depth that he was able to do. The depth of his catalog. It's ridiculous. And we're going through these notes. I'm not going to lie. I got so wrapped up in the movie. I stopped writing notes about halfway through. Yeah, I was getting wrapped up in it too, but I forced myself to keep taking. But it's one of those, I've, I've, I've seen it enough times, I'll be fine. I have not. So that that's why I knew I had to I had to write things down. This was, a lot of the, especially the outdoor scenes were filmed in Hawaii, and they started fil- uh, recording that, or filming that, August 24th, 1992. But they the pre-production was about almost two years. Right. Uh, so they started, a lot of the outdoor scenes, they, they say it's like in Costa Rica and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg couldn't find anywhere he felt comfortable filming at in Costa Rica, but he was comfortable filming in some places in um, Hawaii, so that's where they filmed that. And a lot of the internal stuff was filmed on uh, Warner Brothers' lot, and they finished that November 30th, 1992. So this was about a four, three, three-month shoot. That's all it took, really? Yeah, and they actually, they finished it. I think they when they, were, they had the final cut finished, ready to put in theaters like a month before it was released. Talk about a tight timetable. Yeah. So, shall we dive into this epic masterpiece of a damn movie? Sounds like a plan. So, we open up in Costa Rica. Very dark outside, a lot of rustling, and you see a lot of guys with Jurassic Park trademark hats, hard hats, and they look scared shitless. We're at the park itself on Isla Nublar, which is, I believe the, I believe the title said, 103 miles west of Costa Rica. Yes, so, and you're, you're thinking, oh, God, this is a dinosaur already. We're getting a dinosaur two seconds in. But what it is is a large cage, almost like a like a crate that they're carrying. A, uh, we find out is a velociraptor, which, by the way, we now I didn't realize until a couple years later, a couple years ago, a lot of the dinosaurs they use in this movie are misnamed and mislabeled. Like a velociraptor does not look like the velociraptor that you see in the movies. Right. They use the name because the name Velociraptor sounds cool, which it does. Yes. And then when we get into the Dilophosaurus, you know, the one with the the frills that spit in the face. Yes. The spitting part was actually invented for the movie. That that never happened. That I did not know. Yeah. So the the whole acid spit thing uh, doesn't never exist. That was just it looked cool. Okay. So and we also when we see that they're trying to load the, the raptor in the crate. And transfer him into one of the pens. We see one of the game hunters, Muldoon, played by British actor Bob Peck, who I wasn't familiar with a lot of his work other than Jurassic Park, but he had done a miniseries in England called Edge of Darkness that's, from what I read, was considered one of the... It's a classic. It's considered one of the best miniseries that's done in England. I hadn't heard of that. I might look into it. I might, too. And it was actually also... Remade into the movie Edge of Darkness starring um, Mel Gibson. Okay. 
So that's that's basically. But he was known for this and won a lot of awards for it. It's considered uh, very well received. But he's 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 going to be our game hunter. I love Muldoon. He was a cool character. Yeah. The, the cinematography is playing very coy with the Velociraptor. We don't see it. We won't. You don't see it for oh god, what almost half the movie? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think you do, don't you? I think you see the T. Do you see the T Rex before the Raptor? Yeah, cause they don't see the. Yeah, they don't see the Raptors until after after they try to restart the entire system. Yeah, like so it's the cinematography and the tension that they use between the music and the cinematography. So good. Yeah, so the Raptor in the box, as it's being as they're opening the box to let it into the pen, it bolt charges the door, knocks the box away from the locking collar, and grabs someone. We don't we still don't see it, but the person, yeah, he's dead meat. Yeah. Which by the way. Speaking of Dead Meat, my favorite, one of my favorite channels on the internet, uh, Dead Meat, the horror channel, their main show, Kill Count, where they do like horror and horror adjacent movies, did this movie. Because I can see where this would be considered horror adjacent with the dinosaurs and the terror and everything. Absolutely. And uh, we will actually get to what he likes to award the Golden Chainsaw for the best kill in the movie. I will point that out with the gold, the Dead Meat Golden Chainsaw Award for best kill in this movie is later on. All righty. By the way, please search that channel out if you like horror movies. I absolutely, it's legit one of my favorite channels on YouTube. I'll toss a link to it in the description for YouTube. So we, we one fantastic start to open this movie. This movie, you're talking about within two minutes, we got this going on. We don't wait. So we, we it fades out to uh, the Dominican Republic in a amber mine. You get a man named uh, Donald Gennaro, who is the a lawyer who is representing the investors of Jurassic Park who was played by a man named Martin Ferrero, who was known for this. And he also had a recurring role on the original Miami Vice as, like, you know, like their informant, their their confidential informant guy. Didn't know that. Neat. I didn't either, but I, then I looked, and I'm excited because Miami Vice is on Peacock, so I think I know what I'm doing later. I gotcha. Because I used to, I was one of my, should not have been watching that show as a kid, considering how violent it was, and it was about, like, sex trafficking and drugs and... A lot of people already shouldn't have been watching what we watch as kids, but yeah. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Like, this is basically, you play Grand Theft Auto Vice City and you'll, you get it. Yeah. No, like, that's how my mom was, too, because she was always like, you know what? If I tell you not to watch something, you're going to watch something anyways. So I'm just going to nip this shit in the bud. You just watch whatever you want, but if you watch something scary and you wake up screaming and crying, I'm going to uh, punish you for that. Okay. Yeah, I never did. But she was just like, yeah, just watch whatever you want. You're going to watch it anyways. Why am I going to stop you? Basically the whole you do you boo-boo thing, right? Basically, yeah. So she, she, my parents were also very like, I can't tell you not to do something and tell you something's bad when I'm doing it in front of you. Right. I'm going to tell you it's bad for you and you shouldn't do it, but I can't tell you not to do it if I'm sitting there telling you to do it. I'm just going to tell you the ramifications of doing it. Right. Anyways, we're... uh. We're at this amber mine because we find out not only uh, are the investors worried that this is going to be safe for, lack of a better term, human consumption in the park. The family of the man that died at the beginning is suing for $20 million. And there, while he's talking to the gentleman running the amber mine that apparently uh, Ham, John Hammond runs, owns, they find a massive piece of amber with a mosquito in it, mm -hmm. which is how they get the DNA, which we'll explain here in a little bit. Yeah, the investors are wanting two experts to sign off on the park. They have an Ian Malcolm, but they specifically want Alan Grant. There's talk about Grant being in Montana on a dig. 
which we fade into. And there we are. Montana, we uh, where we see some archaeologists are uncovering a dinosaur skull of some sort. You know, doing general with the brushes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we see Alan Grant, who is an archaeologist played by Sam Neill. We know Sam Neill from all kinds of stuff. He uh, was, I, I know him from The Omen Part 3. He was also in that famous uh, uh, Cry in the Darkness about the dingo ate my baby. He still does uh, acting, but he also runs a, his own winery in uh, New Zealand. That's his big thing now. Neat. And I was reading an article about his winery. It's actually called Two Paddocks is the name of his winery. Cool. He was like, he was talking about how, you know, I would like to have this been a thing to where it was super successful to where basically I didn't have to act anymore. This would have paid my bills. And he's like, no, it's not making the money I want to. He's like, you know, I'll tell you what, if I didn't have so much fun doing it, I wouldn't be doing it right now because he's like, it's costs so much money and it's so time consuming. I gotcha. But that's, that's his big thing now. He has a winery and he still does like, you know, acting. Let's say, like I said, he's going to be in the new uh, Jurassic World movie. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, a paleobotanist, which is her title, Ellie Satner, Sattler, excuse me, played by Laura Dern, who we know from Star Wars. Yes. And all kinds of stuff. She's been acting for, she's got Golden Globe. She's got an Oscar. She's got, like, she's, as much as they didn't skimp on the crew, they sure as hell didn't skimp on the cast either. Absolutely not. And they find they have this weird, cool, like, radar thing where they shoot a shotgun shell into the ground. Yeah, ground penetrating radar, it looked like to me. Yeah, and they're able to find a full skeleton of a raptor. I believe it's supposed to be a raptor. Mm -hmm. And he explains how the raptor is. And there's this kid who's like, oh, that's just silly. That's nothing. Yeah. And Alan. (laughs) Yeah, this scene. Has the raptor claw. Has a raptor claw. And he's basically like, oh, you don't think about raptors. What if they come up to you? And he's basically like talking about how the kid's going to get gutted and all this. I'm like, it was funny. He scares the kid. He scares the kid bad. I remember that scene. I remembered it before I watched it recently. Yeah. And there was a debunked rumor that the kid would go on to play the kid who really doesn't have a name would go on to become Owen, the character Chris Pyatt plays in like the Jurassic World movies because he's the main character in the Jurassic World movies. Right. It's been debunked. That's not him. It's just a, a kid. Okay. But the kid himself is played by a Whit Hertford who is doing a lot of directing now. The reason I bring him up is because, you know, I love my horror movies. Right. I recognize him because he had an appearance as the future demon child from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. Huh. He was the dream child. Because if anybody knows people that were in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5... That would be you. It would be me. Now backtracking just for a sec, there was before, before the kids ta- spoke up... Grant was talking a lot about how dinosaurs have a lot in common with modern birds. And today we know that's true. Dinosaurs even had feathers, but they didn't know that in 93. A lot of that because, like, feathers don't petrify. They just rot. Yeah, and, like, it, it, and I, speaking of feathers and how a lot of the dinosaurs here were mislabeled, I look if you look at a picture of an actual velociraptor, like what's considered a velociraptor, they're feathered. It was a feathered dinosaur. They didn't look anything remotely like the ones in the movie. They actually had feathers. That is really cool to know. Yeah, like, I was like, I find this stuff fascinating. Like, do I follow dinosaurs and archaeology and paleontology like I used to as a kid? No, not, no, I wouldn't imagine. No, but do I find that stuff fascinating when I find anything new about dinosaurs? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So while they're talking about this, a helicopter lands and they throw the dig in turmoil because it's spraying dirt and sand all over the place. So they're trying to cover up what they've already dug up. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously, Alan, who's very, he's a very no-nonsense, he's not really an asshole per se. 
very direct. He's direct. He's blunt. Like We'll see him soften up by the end of the movie, but I don't think he's a jerk. No, absolutely not. He's just matter of fact. Very much so. So uh, the helicopter's like, hey, there's somebody in your trailer. So he goes in the trailer, and we see John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough. And if the name Attenborough sounds familiar, his brother is Sir David Attenborough, who was the narrator of, you remember? I don't. The uh, BBC documentary, The Living Planet. Really? I didn't know that. Like, you know, Living Planet, Life of Birds. Oh, cool. All those BBC nature documentaries that are the Sir David Attenborough. I gotcha. That's the brother of Sir Richard Attenborough, who plays John Hammond in this movie. Cool. So, like I said, they spared no expense on either side of the camera. And you'll note that that Dr. Hammond says spared no expense quite a bit during this movie. Mm-hmm. Because he he has to have been, even in 93, had to have been a billionaire. And so he's opening up a bottle of Moe, which is champagne. Mm-hmm. So he's like, what are you doing? You know, who's this jerk? Who's this guy? He goes, oh, hi, I'm the guy that's giving you $50,000 for your dig. Oh, hi, please, come on in. Yes. Have a seat. <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. Who's you? I'm, I'm paying your dig. Oh, hi, please, come in. Can I get you a chair? But he's popping open the champagne because he's like, look, I need you to come to the park, vet it, verify it. You guys know what you're doing. You're on top of your fields. Right. And if you come, I will fully fund the remainder of your dig no matter how much it costs. He says three years of funding. So my man's got some Tony Stark money. Absolutely. My man's rich like T'Challa. They go down, and he convinces them. And then we go to back before we get there. Uh, we're back to Costa Rica. We hop around a lot until we get to the park. We hop around a lot to establish everybody. Yes. We're back in Costa Rica the second time. We're a shady man called Dod- Dodson. Walks up to a gentleman named Dennis Nedry. Dennis Nedry. Dodson is played by, played by a man named Cameron Thor, who was an actor who is... Uh, now in jail for being a convicted sex offender. Oh, gosh. Yeah, his character was actually in the second Jurassic World movie, played by a second person. That's why. Moving on. Okay. We, you know, we don't like to talk about this kind of people. Dennis Nedry is played by Dennis Knight, who a lot of people remember as... That would be Newman from Seinfeld, correct? Newman. Yep, he was Newman. And I also remember him as, because I'm a big comic book fan and I'm a massive fan of The Punisher, he was Microchip in The Punisher Warzone. Cool. So basically, Nedry works for Hammond's company, and Dodson works for a a rival company who wants the embryos because they're developing embryos of the dinosaurs. And he's gonna pay. This is where the you know that seed nobody cares meme comes from. Yeah. This is where that comes from. He's like Dodson's here. Dodson's here. See, nobody cares. This is where that meme comes from. So he basically he pulls out a can of Barbasol that's actually got a hidden compartment with coolant. For Nedry to um, put an embryo of each dinosaur in there. And then he'll get paid something like a million dollars extra on top of what he already has. Yeah, I believe there's mention of 15 embryos that Hammond's Corporation has made. Yeah, so he goes in there, grabs one of each. He gets paid for everyone he brings back. and gives him a big bag of money. He's like, look, you get you get us the embryos. We'll give you even more money depending. Right. We'll pay you per embryo. So we get a helicopter on the helicopter ride to the island. We are introduced to the other main doctor of the thing, the trip. Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by... Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Do we love Jeff Goldblum here? We do. We love me some Jeff Goldblum. He's a He is an amazing actor. I love Jeff Goldblum and everything. He works especially in chaos theory and mathematics of some sort. 
Yeah, he describes himself as a chaotician. Yes. And that first dude, when I watched this for the notes, I've seen it a bunch of times when they first reveal the island, when it shows, they get the green and it shows the whole island, gave me chills down my spine. Again, the cinematography is spectacular. And then, I don't know if you noticed this, we get a bit of foreshadowing because they're like, hey, we're lowering the helicopter, everybody buckle up. Dr. Grant doesn't have two, op- has, he has two ends of the same seatbelt. Yes, I saw that. That's foreshadowing. I think, now that you've mentioned it's foreshadowing, I think I see how. We'll explain to it when we get there, but I didn't realize it until after the fact. Yeah, that's foreshadowing. And then they show it, with, they have another scene where they show it, all the dinosaurs in the background, they got all the herds of dinosaurs. Once again, still holds up. Next year will be 30 years this movie's been out. Yeah, this movie is gorgeous. And then they get to that scene where they're driving the gas-powered Jeeps through, and they stop. And you get the Jurassic Park song. And then they turn and look, and you see the Brontosaurus, or Brachiosaurus, whatever they are. Brachiosaurus. Dude, I got I got teary-eyed. Yeah, movies don't generally affect me like that, but it was very emotional. Like, and it was just, like, and because that was not all CGI. That was some animatronics, too. Yeah, there was a lot of, there was a good combination of, of CG and practical effects in this movie. Granted, it's 30 years old, so it's easier to pick out the CGI, but it's still not easy. Absolutely. Like, there's a lot of movies that come out now that wish they could have work done like this. Right. But that scene where they have the, the Brachiosaurus with the music and everything, and he does the welcome to Jurassic Park. Dude, like, that's one of the two times I'll get I'll get a little misty-eyed in this movie. Yeah. And that's one of them. Chill. Absolutely just like, like, because we talked, oh, we didn't talk about this. The composer of this music. Bot? Who composed this damn music? John Williams of Star Wars fame. John Williams of Star Wars. Let's, let, let, while we're doing everybody else's pedigrees, should we look up John Williams? Sounds like fun. Okay, I got it right here. That's just his, that's his non-movie stuff. You're like, okay. Let's see here. Album. He did. Hmm. I'm going. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. He did Fiddler on the Roof for the movie. Really? He did. Towering Inferno, Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Superman the Movie, The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Return of the Jedi, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Witches of Eastwick, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Home Alone, Hook, JFK, Home Alone 2, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, The Lost World, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, Star Wars Episode 1, The Patriot with Mel Gibson, AI, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That was him? That was John Williams. I had no idea. Star Wars Episode 2, Minority Report, was actually a good movie. Catch Me If You Can, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, The Terminal, another fantastic movie. Star Wars Episode 3, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Lincoln, Star Wars The First Awakens, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Need I go on? No, you really don't need to, but oh my gosh!
And that was only a... I didn't tell you everything he did. I had no idea he was that prolific. And then he did movies. He did... What else we got here? He did collaborations with people. That's not even the collaborations he did. Wow. I'm talking his earliest collaboration on record I have here is 1956. Is Don Williams still with us? Uh, far, let me double check. As far as I know, yeah. And he did albums for other people. He did compilation albums. He did just, oh, God, he did Airplane. Really? He did the song on Airplane. Cause, oh, because Jaws. The Jaws theme was an Airplane. Oh, right. He did concert stuff. Like, he did stuff, like, for... He did the Olympic themes for a lot of places. Oh my! Like the 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 ninety the eighty four LA uh, Olympics. Good yeah, grief. he did that. He's won five Academy Awards for best original score. He's won one for best scoring for adaptation and original song. Four Golden Globes, seven British Academy of Film Awards, the BAFTAs, and twenty three Grammy Awards. Oh my God. Not including his gold and platinum records. Right. And, as of today, he is still with us. How old is he now? 90 years old. Oh, my. So when I said both sides of the screen, this this movie is stacked. You were not kidding. Nope. Anyways, Jeeps take him to the visitor center where they show have a uh, presentation. Basically just showing you, hey, this is how we make the dinosaurs. Here's the thing. The presentation is goofy. But I liked it. It was, it was good. It It reminded me of like a schoolhouse rock type Disney Channel type thing. If I was if I was if I was there as like a patron of the music park, even as a kid or adult, I would have loved it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And then it spins them around. Oh, by the way, the uh, Mr. DNA was voiced by a man named Greg Burson, who uh, did a lot of Hanna Barbera and Cartoon Network voices. He's no longer with us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did a lot of the majority of his voice work that I noticed was like Hanna Barbera. Cartoon Network type stuff. Gotcha. So they he explains that basically what they're doing is they extract the blood from, in layman's terms, they extract, extract the blood from the mosquitoes trapped in amber, and then the geneticists, they have their splice in frog DNA, which will come into play. That is a pivotal part. Yes, it is. To plug in the holes of the genetic code. And then the theater kind of twists and turns, and you actually show it to an actual like genetics lab. They just pass through, and Grant's like, hey, can we see with the, and the, I want to do the, Hammond's like, well, we, you know, we come back to that later, and uh, Grant, Sattler, and Malcolm are like, no, nah, we're good. They just all lift up the, the bars, the the bars, because it's like, it's like, kind of like a uh, roller coaster bars. Yeah. And they just all walk in there, and you find out that working in the lab is a Dr. Henry Wu. Right. Who is played by B.D. Wong. Who was actually in this movie and the three Jurassic World movies. Yeah, he looked familiar. Now now you've said his name. He was in Special Victims Unit, wasn't he? Yeah, he was He was George Huang, the, the uh, FBI doctor. And his name was uh, George Huang in uh, SVU. Okay. That, that, that doctor, that FBI, like, psychologist or whatever. Yeah, that's why he looked familiar. I've seen a few episodes of SVU, but I haven't, I haven't sat down and watched it like you have. I've literally seen every episode except the most recent season. Like, oh, well over 400 episodes. Right. Thank you, Hulu. However, guys, let's play our new favorite game that we've played damn near every episode of this show. Is it Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? I believe you said we're now doing Six Degrees of Oz, correct? Yes, because we are talking about the HBO show Oz again. 
We've talked about it damn near every episode for one reason or another. Somebody is connected to Oz somehow, including SVU, because SVU has a lot of people from there, too. Right. Anyways, B.D. Wong was on Oz. He was on every season as one of the main characters. Really? He played the priest. There was a priest they had that was in a, did a lot of stuff in the show. So he was actually doing... Because uh, some of the early seasons of SVU and Oz uh, overlapped. So there for a couple seasons, he was doing both shows. Interesting. Yeah, so he did Oz. So once again, somebody else connected to Oz. Welcome to Oz! Welcome to Oz! <laughs> so basically, Dr. Wu was working on the... Uh, looks like he's helping hatch some new eggs. And it's... Kind of, this, I thought this... this this was kind of a cool effect, too. We actually get to watch a baby velociraptor get hatched from an egg. Yeah, this was a great scene. Mm hmm And they explain that, oh, yeah, we, you know, all the all the birds are taking in, take place in the lab. They're, uh, there's no wild... Uh, breeding. Breeding. And Malcolm, uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm's like, yeah, this is kind of, that's kind of uh, bullshit. And he comes up with that classic, uh, life, uh, uh, life uh, finds a way. So, yeah... Dr. Wu explains all the dinosaurs are female because you, the the way the way the way male female biology works, you're you're female by default. You need a specific, you need a specific enzyme enzyme from the sperm to make a male, and they just deny them that. Yeah, and uh, Malcolm's like, yeah, no, they're gonna find a way, dude. Like you come to find out that uh, Malcolm is basically right the entire movie. Right. Grant goes outside. He finds a feeding pen for some of the raptors. And uh, they, they, they're feeding the raptors a whole cow. Like a live cow in a harness. Yeah, this is where the scientists are introduced to Muldoon. Yeah, he talks about how lethal... This kind of reminds me of, like, if you've ever watched Piranha's Feed, which I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's another fascinating thing, watching, like, you put a big hunk of meat in a, a water infested by piranhas. Right. They clean it down to the bone, like, in minutes. I find that... Like, I find animal stuff fascinating, like... I will, I'm the kind of guy that will sit there and watch animal documentaries all day and go, huh. Yeah, I've done that before, but it's been a long time. I need to start doing that again because I will... I'm like the kid in Jerry Maguire. Did you know that the... Da, 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 da? Yeah, I gotcha. So uh, Muldoon explains that these raptors are super lethal, which we will find out later on. Yeah, he's got, he, res he respects them, which is... He does. He respects them in a way that nobody else here in the park does because you guys, he's like, do you guys not realize how dangerous they are? And they're like, oh, no, they're fine. Be, they're behind electric fence. He's like, no, they're already trying to figure out how to get past the electric fence, guys. No, they'll be fine. Yeah, they're very intelligent. Not human level, but probably close. And they also, they, they're not solo hunters. They, they, they have a pack mentality. Yeah, and yeah, that was one of the things Dr. Grant said when he was educating the smart mouth at the dig site. Yeah, and everybody's like, Baldoon's like, ah, sure, thanks, British guy. Baldoon's like, yeah, shit, I told you. Because when they, uh, the harness comes back, there's no cow, and that thing is just shredded and in pieces. They destroyed the harness. Yeah. They decide to all sit down to dinner, which Ammon actually says they have a private chef. Spared no expense. Yeah, who, uh, by the way, if I remember correctly, he's making Chilean sea bass. Yes, Chilean sea bass is what they have. I have not had that yet. It's also not cheap. It's called Chilean for a reason. It comes from Chile. And it's Chilean. But so they're sitting there, and then the, the lawyer's still there. He's he's kind of slimy. He's like, look, look, we're gonna market this, we're gonna do t-shirts, we're gonna make all this, that, and the other. It's gonna be 
we can charge people $10,000 a day and they'll show up. And Hammond's like, you know what? I've made this for everybody, which if you look at the expenses made and all the prices and everything, this would not be a cheap place to go to. No, not at all. Like Disney World's not cheap. This would make Disney World look like you went to the county fair. I I agree with that assessment. Because you're flying to outside to Costa Rica, so you got to do all the international flights. You got to do everything set up for that. I'm sure you got to get. You're going to have accommodations on the island, which I'm sure does not go to the cost of the price of the uh, the the park ticket. You got to have hotel attractions. Right. This was some bougie looking stuff they had there, so you knew it wasn't going to be no Motel Six or Best Western. Right. Park tickets, attraction tickets. They show in the visitor center they had merch already. Actually, some of those shirts look dope as hell. I would award some of those shirts now. Oh, yeah. But, like, shirts and lunchboxes and books and, like, you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands. This was not something that we're going to save up for and go. Yeah, this is a once-in-a-lifetime trip destination. If that. This is where, like, oh, you have to be a multimillionaire just to be able to afford to go. Right. You're talking seven, eight figures. But Hammond doesn't realize this. He kind of reminds me, and like, and not in a bad way. He kind of reminds me of those stories you hear about where um, rich people that don't understand what expenses are, don't understand, like, they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't, you know, how much does it cost a gallon of milk? I don't know, 20 bucks? Yeah, like when Bill Gates guessed that a box of pizza rolls was 20 bucks. Yeah, because they, they don't understand because they have so much money, they can buy anything and it doesn't affect them, so they don't pay attention to cost. Right. Hammond does this. But in a way that doesn't make him look aloof. He's like, look, I'm trying to do something. I want to share it with the world. In his own mind, he's a philanthropist. Yeah, in which it seems like he is. Because you see later on, he has a discussion with Ellie about his how his first project was a flea circus. Yeah, I remember that scene. Yeah, we, this goes on much later in the movie. We talk about how I, oh, my, first, my first thing I ever did was a flea circus. Where it's like, he's, not, he's aloof with price. But he wants to do it in a way that he wants to have something that whole fans can, not just specific people. Right. But everybody to join. But it's like, but Jurassic Park is not going to be a cheap thing. So, not only do they have that discussion, which which is weird because I kind of agree with the lawyer on this. He's like, this is, yeah, you can't make this for everybody. There's also, and this is also a theme throughout the movie, Malcolm and Grant and everybody. Again, also, Heyman's on the outside of this. Have a ethics discussion where the whole basis is like, just because you could doesn't mean you should. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what Dr. Malcolm says. And that's what the whole thing like, here's the thing. Once again, Haman has all the good intentions in the world. And we all know what they say about the road to hell. Is paved with? Good intentions. Good intentions. Once again, I can't hate on Haman for wanting to do this, but he just needs to understand there's monetary and severe ethical dilemmas with what he's trying to do. As so many movies have said, you're toying with powerful forces here. Yeah, it's just like, because they're, they're, they're always going to ask you, okay, well, this is not going to work. What are you going to do? I don't know. But, and he's honestly surprised that no one agrees with him. Yeah, he's even more shocked that the lawyer is on his side, too. He's like, yeah, the only, the only, one, the, the only one on my side is the sleazy lawyer. But, speaking of which, you have somebody come in. The, old, the the last two main characters of the movie show up. Well, no, not last two because we got we got one of my favorite people coming in here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Who uh, shows up, but uh, Hammond's uh, grandchildren. Tim and Lex. Tim, 
played by a gentleman named Joseph Mazzello, who is still acting to this day, who was actually as recent as The Social Network and Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, really? Who We were talking about how young I was when I first saw this movie. He's a year younger than I am. Wow. So I was this kid's age when I first saw this for the first time. And I was almost that excited about dinosaurs. Right. So that was basically me when I was 10 years old, 11 years old. That was me with dinosaurs. Like, I remember our local zoo. Because, you know, most zoos will have some sort of yearly or seasonal exhibit. Yeah. They had a dinosaur. The one time I ever got to go to the zoo, this zoo specifically, they had a dinosaur exhibit where you could come in and they had these animatronic dinosaurs that were supposed to be life-size and all this stuff and... I didn't care about the polar bears and the tigers. I wanted to go see the dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I was that kid. That was me at 11 years old. Right. And uh, Lex is played by a actress named Ariana Richards, who uh, I also remember her from Tremors 3 because, of course, I do. Of course. She uh, She's actually really no longer acting right now. She's actually very involved and is a uh, regarded uh, painter. She got into art. She paints. And from what I've seen, she's actually... Uh, very good at it and she's won awards and contests and that's what she's happy with doing now is painting she's got a family she paints neat fantastic yeah oh yeah um so they walk outside and they have self-driving electric cars to take them on tour they're on tracks and everything yeah spoiler alert i hate to ruin the uh the mystique there bot those weren't electric cars i kind of didn't think so those were actually still driven by people oh but they weren't in the front seat Oh, okay. Remote control, probably. No, they were actually hidden underneath, like, you know, the, the the back area. Oh! Behind the back seat. Okay. They were hidden under there driving the cars. Oh, that, I, news to me. Yeah. Well, once again, I like weird trivia like that. Yeah, I gotcha. They start taking the tour. And I love the moment where Tim is, like, a huge fan of Grant. He's asking him, like, 100 questions a minute. He's like, do you remember with this when you wrote your when you read this in your book, and then the other guy read this, and then like, yeah, Tim was cute. He was. He was like, this is basically like his hero. He's got all his books. He's like, oh my god, I want to ask this guy everything. Poor Alan has no idea what to do. Yeah, he's just kind of doesn't. Yeah, he's not being an asshole with a kid. And he's like, I don't just just stay over there. And if you watch Ellie's look, Ellie is eating this up. Yeah, there was mention earlier, like, at the dig site, that Alan and Ellie are a, are an item. He doesn't want kids. Yeah. and But you can see that she's she's over there just smiling and laughing. She's loving this because this kid is just all over Alan. He's, like, he's not trying to be rude, but at the same time, he's like, I'm going to go in this car. You go over here. Because he even asked the kid, what car are you going to be in? Whatever one you're in. And you see Ellie go, oh Yeah. Which, obviously, that's going to change by the end of the movie. But it's just, it's funny to see. He's like, I don't, what do I do with this thing? Yeah. Do I just, like, just, like, do I pet it? Do I feed it? I don't. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It's like the whole Ricky Bobby thing. I don't know what to do with my hands. But it was endearing. I liked it. It was kind of funny. Endearing is a good word. Muldoon and Hammond walk in the command center. They're getting ready to start the tour. and But there's also a tropical storm approaching. They had mentioned one had passed out him before, but this one is not going to. Right. And we actually meet the last main character of the movie, Ray, one of the technicians, played by... Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson, whose favorite line in this movie is, hold on to your butts. Who is also smoking a filtered cigarette all the way down to the filter of the whole movie. But anyways, he's going to help set up the whole trip. Yeah, there's an automated tour program, they said. Yeah, 
Because there was a there was a uh, touch screen in the front like dashboard area where it's like, oh, I can touch this and I can learn about all the different dinosaurs when we drive past. Yeah, yeah. So the tour commences. the the first animal The first dinosaur is the Dilophosaurus, but they can't see any of them because they're like deep in the woods. Yeah, and the kids are kind of like everybody's all meh, but the kids are all super meh because hey, we came to see Grandpa and see dinosaurs. Yeah, and we all spoke about this before. They talk about the venom spinning of the Dilophosaurus, made specifically for the movie. Right. Did not do that in real life. Uh, and then we also see Nedry, who is uh, basically their, uh, he's there on contract. He's basically their computer guy, their their techie guy. Yeah, and he's pissy about being underappreciated. Yeah, whose desk, by the way, does not look much different than my desk now. My desk is pretty nasty. So yeah, he's talking about all the code he had to write. There's, there's a finite amount of memory. And that was especially true in those days. In those days, you'd be lucky to have 30, about probably 32 megabytes of RAM. Nowadays, that's not even the smallest flash drive you can buy. Yeah, Hammond's like, yeah, I'm sorry about your money, son, but yo, that's your problem, not mine. Don't spend all your money. Because his his desk is covered with wrapper, like candy wrappers and pop bottles and not different from mine that's covered with pop cans and video games and magic cards. Yeah. Anyways, the cars arrive at the T-Rex paddock, obviously. The kids, everybody... Would you want to see a T-Rex? Oh, yes. Yeah. T-Rex isn't going to come out, but Ray, uh, hey, I'm going to try this. Brings a goat up. So, hey, maybe if we get a goat, you know, give him food, the T-Rex will come out and notch on the food. We'll see it. Yay. Yeah, not so much. T-Rex does not bite. No. And then, literally. And so while they're driving and taking the tour, you see uh, Malcolm is flirting with Ellie the whole time. Like, he's flirting, and I think he's he's... Flirting with that fine line. I don't think he's full creepy yet. He's on that fine line. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he doesn't know at this point that she's taken. No, but at the same time, he's fl- he's flirting, but he's not. I don't think he's crossed that fine line where it's the creepy flirting. I agree. I don't think he. I don't think he crosses the line. He, he he's on the line. He tiptoes right up to it, but he never crosses it. No. So he explains, like you know, how the butterfly effect works. Which, by the way. Awesome movie that I would like to cover eventually. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a great movie. Well, he's talking about how chaos theory works and, you know, this, that, and the other. Alan looks out into the one of the empty fields and he sees one of the gas-powered Jeeps. So he just opens the door of the electric Jeep and just leaves. And hey, our, uh, Muldoon's like, look, I told you to put locks on those damn cars. Yeah. So he, because he sees the Jeep in the middle of nowhere and he wonders what the hell's going on. So he goes out there. Everybody follows. And come to find out, this was a really cool scene because this was animatronic. They find they sh- uh, Ellie comes up and it looks like a, like a maybe like some sort of zookeeper or doctor of some sort. That they find a sick triceratops, and this was awesome because this was a animatronic dinosaur. Yeah, this was amazing. Granted, I never got to see my favorite dinosaur in this movie, which is Stegosaurus. Okay, I love Stegosaurus. Well, I like Triceratops too, but. I wanted to see a Stegosaurus, which, uh, you know, win some, you lose some. Yeah. But, and you come to find out, because Ellie mentions throughout this, throughout the movie that, hey, because she's a paleobotanist. She knows plants and, you know, how the plants interact with animals. That's what she does. That's what she knows. Right. Um, She talks about how, hey, some of these plants are toxic and they shouldn't be around the animals because they talk about this during the whole ethical thing. It's like, hey, this is a different location, different century. They may not know what the hell's going on. Right. And what had happened is we come to find out that this dinosaur who has a massive pile of dino poop 
And she, Ellie thinks that they may have eaten something toxic, so she just puts on one a, a long-ass glove, and she just goes elbow deep in the poop. Yeah, somehow I never realized she was wearing gloves. Oh, I'm glad she was, but she just goes, like, I need to figure out what's going on. Right. Because she thinks they ate the toxic berry, but she can't be positive yet. Yeah, she's lo- looking in the poop for traces of the berries. Yeah. So while this is going on, you start hearing the rumbling of the tropical storm coming. They're trying to evacuate the island because this is not an island that people live on. Right. So we're trying to evacuate everybody off the island. And uh, Ellie says, hey, he's got to know because the, the doctor, zookeeper, who I, I think he was a doctor. Yeah, he's got a gas-powered jeep. Yeah, but I think he was he, he was like a doctor or some sort. I think he was a doctor or zookeeper. I would say a veterinarian. Vet, thank you, veterinarian. But he's like, yeah, I have a gas-powered jeep. I'll take her back. Because it's like, all right, we need to get back. We need to, we'll, we'll do the tour tomorrow. Right. So everybody else hops into the Jeeps and they head back. But while this is going on, Nedry, uh, he's like, oh, does anybody need snacks? I need to go get snacks because, you know, I'm hungry. And you do the thing with the thing. You know how when you catch people in a lie and it's like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. No, I, you know, they give you so much more extra information. They over explain. Yeah. But they're just like, hey, I'm going to go get a snack. Does anybody need anything? Because, you know, I want to get something sweet, maybe, maybe salty. I don't know. You know, okay, bye. So, yeah. Because he has it. He has a program set up on the computer because he says he talks to his guy, the contact, because they're going to leave the island. Hey, I can I have it set up to where I can get everything. I can get the embryos and to the dock in 20 minutes. Right. Because he has it set up and he's like he hits the program that shuts down everything, including the electric fences and all the gates and everything. So honestly, part of this is a good part of this is Nedry's fault. Yes. So, but he's able to actually get the embryos in the the uh, fake shaving cream can, which also dispenses shaving cream to get past customs. Right. But they 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 show that, and he gets into one of the jeeps, and right now it's pouring rain, and I did find out that during the filming of this, a hurricane did hit Hawaii. Really? Yeah. And some of these scenes with the rain and everything were filmed during the hurricane. That's some dedication. Really, ma- really made it look realistic. So a lot of the rain, some of the rain scenes. I don't know which ones or how often or which were cut, but some of this was actually filmed during the rain. Nedry gets in the jeep. He gets one of the gas-powered jeeps, and he's trying to. He gets turned around. Like his glasses are all fogged up. He can't see stuff, and he crashes the jeep. The kids are sitting in the car. They, the where, where does the electric cars stop? Yeah, they stall right outside the T Rex paddock. Yeah, and then the kids are sitting there. All of a sudden, you hear. And uh, Tim, was it Tim? Yeah, Tim. Tim looks in the water and you start seeing ripples. Yeah. What the, honestly, movie magic, what that was, was just somebody like out of frame with a guitar string. They're just hitting the... Causing the ripples. Cool. And now we get as many iconic scenes are in this movie. We come to probably the most iconic scene of this movie, the part where the T-Rex escapes. The first appearance of the T-Rex, I believe. Yeah, it was. And it was just absolutely... Can you imagine again, 1993, 11-year-old me sitting there and all you see is the eyeball. Yeah, but it's looking in the Jeep. They look. The goat's gone. Like, where's the goat? And you just see this bloody severed goat leg come and hit the top of the Jeep that the kids are in. Yeah. And scares the shit out of them. Which, rightfully so. Because the lawyer, Gennaro... And the kids are in the front Jeep. Malcolm and... Grant. Grant, thank you, are in the, the rear Jeep. And they're watching this. And all of a sudden, you just see the uh, the T-Rex just come in close. 
You see the eye. You see it sniffing. And according to Grant, he's telling the kids, he's basically like, hey, he's hoping they don't move because it, it, they feed, the T-Rex works on sight. Yeah, he can still smell you even if you're, even if you're not moving. Though. Yeah, but he's the whole sight thing. They want everybody, this is supposed to be a tense scene. By the way, no music, there's no background music. There wasn't. Yeah, if you watch this again, no background music the whole time. Which makes it even more tense. I didn't realize. No music, no nothing. Just the sound of the rain, the sound of the T-Rex. Uh, Lexi pulls out a flashlight. He's like, Grant's like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And it's just because the kids, he surrounded the Jeep with the kids in it. Jernar was like, fuck this, I'm out. He books it. Yeah, there's a, there's an... There's a bathroom right there that he goes and hides in. Like a, like a little portageon almost. Yeah. And so there's that scene where, you know, the kids are trapped. The T-Rex is surrounding it, the Jeep. And he comes down and he bashes the, the top of the, the pussy glass where the kids are. And then he's pinned them. Yeah, trying to get to him, but his mouth is too big. Yeah. And there's been, uh, there's been for, for, you know, years and years and years, there was, there was a rumor that... That wasn't supposed to happen. The pussy glass wasn't supposed to break off like that. And so when the kids screamed, they were screaming for real. Right. Not true. The kids were actually the kids were just acting that well. So yeah. So the the scene the scene happened as it was supposed to. Yes, but if you notice, and I was reading an interview with the guy that played uh, Tim. If you watch, he, he he the only part that wasn't supposed to happen is when, when that happened. The T Rex one of the T Rex's teeth fell tooth fell out. Oh. And you can watch it. It's only for a, a split second, but if you watch like one of the straight-on shots of the T-Rex, you can see a missing tooth. Oh, really? I did not know, did not pick up on that. I didn't either until I just recently read the interview. So when I watched it, I was like, oh, okay. It's like I said, it's there for like a split second. Gotcha. You can see where the missing tooth is. But the kid, it was supposed to do that. The kids were just acting that good. Yeah, that scene, the, this whole sequence is so good. Yeah. And like I said, no music, which I think... For the better, I'm glad there's no music for the better. It makes that scene just that much more tense. Because you're not waiting for the stinger for the thing to happen. It just happens. Yeah. And so they're like, because in the 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 uh, T-Rex is bashing the car. It flips the car over. You see the kids starting to almost like they're starting to sink in mud like they're going to drown. And then Alan grabs one of the flares and he goes out because he knows that. Right. The, the, the Rex will fixate on it. Yeah. So he grabs a flare to... Get the T-Rex attention, throws it into the paddock. Hopefully the T-Rex goes back that way. Dr. Malcolm lights up a flare too and then runs away to screams at Grant to get the kids. Yeah. And then honestly, I was reading an article where uh, that the whole thing where Malcolm was grabbed the uh, flare was Jeff Goldblum's idea. Really? Like he was just supposed to run off. Like they were supposed, he was, like if he's supposed to be one of the heroic guys, he didn't think he should run off like Gennaro did. So it was Jeff Goldblum's idea for Malcolm to grab the second flare. So he's like, you go grab the kids. I'm going to grab the T-Rex away. Because the kids are getting really close to drowning in the mud. Yeah. And every time the, the, the T-Rex steps on the car or bites on it, it makes the car, it crunches the car even. Right, they're about to get crushed. Yeah. So Alan, after some struggling, he's able to get the kids out. And then T-Rex chases Malcolm, who throws him through... The Portageon, it just collapses. He's in a pile. He's he's out cold. And goodbye to the lawyer. By the way, remember how I said uh, we were talking about dead meat earlier? Yeah, was this it? 
The golden chainsaw for best kill, according to Dead Meat, was Gennaro because he got eaten off the damn toilet. He's on the toilet. He's like, oh, my God, don't eat me. I'm on the toilet. T-Rex was like, no. That was, oh, my gosh. Eats the man off the toilet. But if you read the novel, the lawyer survives. Really? The lawyer actually lives in the novel. Did not know that. Mm-hmm. So basically, Maddie, all this is that, by the way, this scene, there's a reason this movie is, is considered, is in the National Registry of, like, preservation. Because that's not even, there's still iconic scenes left in this movie, and we're, what, halfway through it? About halfway, yeah. And there's so much more that happens. This is what you like to call on our wrestling episodes, dense. Yes. A lot of stuff happens. And this is only, a, you, I didn't realize until I watched it again for the show, this is only a two-hour movie. Yeah, two hours about. Yeah, like two hours and, like, four minutes. Like, we're looking at two hours and eight minutes. And that's including the credits. Yeah, so you're looking at a two-hour movie. So anyways, we're back at the control center. Yeah, they're finding out what Nedry did. Because he had, he had some sort of safe... He had some sort of lock on there that nobody can get through, nobody can unlock it, because um, Samuel L. Jackson's character... Hank. Is it Hank? It's Mr. Arnold. I'm not sure what the first name is. His name is Ray. Ray, okay. We're trying to get on... Nedry's computer, he's got all these safe safeguards and locks on it. He can't get into it. So basically, they can't get back into the system, turn everything on until they get through Nedry's bullshit. Right. While this is going on, so he grabs... So I almost forgot to mention, on top of this, Grant gets the kids, but basically get they get thrown over the side of the paddock. Yeah, so they're stuck in the Tyrannosaur paddock now. With the car above them. Dr. Grant is holding on to the, the fence wires with Lex. Tim is still stuck in the car. After that, they go to the control center. Hammond is like, take one of the gas sheeps and go get my grandkids. So Muldoon and Ellie go out into the rain to go get the kids. Yeah. So we go back to Nedry, who's full on just trying to get out of there now. He's like, Stuart, I'm trying to get out of here. His car's stuck. And so he slips down a hill and he's trying to get a winch. He's trying to winch his car to a trunk, pull it through because he finds where he needs to go. Right. And he loses his glasses, and he starts patting around like he's Velma and Scooby-Doo. And he comes up to a Dilophosaurus. And they, they look kind of cute. They're like, ooh. And he, Nedry, being a dumbass, he's like, oh, you just want to play fetch? Here, go fetch. And then I didn't know, like, we didn't know about the whole frills thing. So that's scary. Yeah, that was, there were still some legitimately scary moments in this movie. Yeah, like, this is why some people would consider this horror adjacent. Where all of a sudden, like, remember, 10 years old, 11 years old. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you just see the frills, and you go here, the, scared the shit out of me. Remember, big screen, not expecting any. Here comes this demon dinosaur, spitting acid. Yeah. So it, it spits it. it uh, he's coming back. It follows. It spits at him. The second time it spits at him, it hits him right in the eyes. Yeah. So he bangs his head, trying to get back into the Jeep, and he drops the canister, and we see the canister ends up getting buried in uh, mud. Yeah, he doesn't realize he's lost it. Yeah, because he's trying to get in the car, but then we see after the fact, because the, there's a Dilophosaurus in the, the Jeep, we presume it eats and kills Nedry, yeah. because... Yeah, he dead. If, if, if this car's a-rockin', don't come a-knockin'. Yeah. But then they, it pans down, and you see that the the can is being is being buried by mud, so we're not going to see the, the can nor Nedry in the rest of the movie. Right. So, we go back to Grant, who's able to... Um, he's able to get Tim out of the car just before it falls out of the tree that it fell into when it was knocked into the paddock. Great scene, too, where it looks like it drops just right above him. Yeah. And then Ellie and Muldoon are able to find Malcolm in the Portageon. So they load him up in the gas jeep, 
So they go to find Malcolm or uh, Grant and the kids. They find where the Jeep is, but they don't see where they're at. Ellie was scared that Grant was dead. She was a little bit relieved that he's obviously he's at least possibly still alive. The kids aren't in the van. Yeah, they see footprints, so they know that. So they know they escaped. Yeah. So they get you know they got Malcolm in the Jeep. Awesome chase scene because they're the Jeep is getting chased by the T Rex. So yeah, in this scene we have the whole objects and mirror are closer than they appear in the driver's side mirror. Yeah, that's only for passenger mirrors usually because it's the shape. The passenger mirrors are convex, so they have a better field of view. You don't need that for a driver's side mirror. Well, there you go. Still a great, it's still a great little sight gag, though. Yes, very. I agree. Good, good gag. But it's a fantastic chase scene. So, okay, so chase scene over with. Yeah, we cut back to Grant and the kids. They're climbing a tree to sleep, and they hear some brachiosauri singing. Yeah, and 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 Lex is scared because he's like, "Oh my god, they're gonna eat me!" And they're like, "No, relax." They're Vegasaurus. Right. Because we find out earlier in the movie that uh, Lex is a vegetarian as well. So this kind of helps relax her a little bit. And then Tim comes up with his joke about the blind dinosaur. Yeah, and then the blind dinosaur's dog. Yeah, the blind. what do, what do you call a blind dinosaur? Do you think he's Saurus? And what do you call a blind dinosaur's dog? Do you think he's Saurus Rex? Like, you can see Alan starting to warm up to the kids. Yeah. And it, it's nice. And it's a gradual thing. It's not just a sudden thing. Yeah, traumatic situations will do that. Yeah. But it, it's it's a it's a nice tender scene where the kids they're they, hey we finally get a little bit of respite yeah so they just spend the night in the tree so we cut back to the visitor center Hammond and Ellie are talking this is where the where Hammond mentions the flea circus yeah and this is like and you can kind of see like he's she walks into like some sort of dining area and he's eating all this ice cream and he's like oh well I'm gonna eat this because it's, it's gonna melt because you know all the power's off in the park so you know obviously all the refrigeration and everything's not working yeah. And you can kind of see, and this is the first time where you can kind of see where he's sitting there eating the ice cream. You can tell he's done. He knows he's ruined. He's done. He's done. Yeah, this is the part where he says that he wanted to show the world something real. Yeah. And once again, I admire his moxie. Yeah, like I said, he's a philanthropist in his own mind. Yeah. He's one of those that he's spending his money, he wants to try to better the world. Yes. And it's a nice scene with Ellie. Like, once again, he's sitting there eating the ice cream because he knows it's he's he's ruined. And so Ellie says, we didn't respect this power enough. You didn't know what you were doing. We need to we need to do something about the people we love. Yeah, once again, real nice, sweet scene. And we cut to the next morning when one of the dinosaurs sneezes on Lex. Which was funny. Because you saw it was kind of green and chunky, too. Yeah. And they're trying to get off. And they're like, okay, now we, he's like, look, I know it's a long walk, but we can actually, they can actually make it to the, the visitor center. And Alan finds some dinosaur eggshells. Oh, dear. And this is when we realize the dinosaurs are hatching outside of the uh, lab. Yeah, so this is where the frog DNA comes in. There's mentioned by Dr. Grant that there are some West African frogs that can change their gender. So that apparently that was what the, the scientists used to patch the DNA, and Malcolm was right. Life found a way. Yep, and then this is where we talk the foreshadowing when we go on the helicopter. Grant is you having to tie in his his seatbelt. Oh yeah, I get it now because he had two female ends. Exactly. So and that was like, oh, female dinosaurs tie tie tie. Look, we found a way. Yes. That was foreshadowing to the whole. Spoiler alert. So they, they're down, and they start working their way back, and they get caught in the middle of a stampede. Yeah, Tim identifies them as Gallimimus. I don't know if that's the, the correct breed. I'm not sure either, but they're able to uh, get behind a trunk 
you know, the the, the 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 stampede goes over them, but they stop and watch because the T-Rex comes by and eats one of them. Yeah, they, yeah Grant is captivated for a bit, but yeah, they, they've got to go. Yeah, I'm like, nope, got to go. So, and then, so we see that they come back and they're working on trying to get all the power set up. But he doesn't want to do this because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Yes. But he convinced, they convince him to do it because it'll uh, shut down Nedry's stuff. They can boot everything back up. Right. So they shut everything down. The master breaker system is across the, the compound in another building. He's like, look, I'll go do it. I'll go, I'll go flip him back on. Yeah, three minutes. That's all I need. So, and then we see this, and this is where uh, the, how well the tension is done. The, the uh, Lex, Tim, and Alan come up to an electric fence. And we've established that these things are 10,000 volts. Right. So they start climbing it. And while this is happening, Ellie's like, wait a minute. They're, uh, he's not back yet. It's been too long. He's not back yet. So she goes to go turn on the power. Yeah, Muldoon goes with her. Yeah. And so then he goes, uh, Hammond finds the, the blueprints. He's like, look, I'll walk you through it. I, I, I should be able to read, know how to read these. So she goes do it. And you see this tension because she can't find she can't find Ray anywhere. Yeah, before she get yeah before she gets to the maintenance shed, they yeah Ellie and Muldoon passed the Raptor enclosure and they've broken out. The shutdown caught cut their fence power too. Yeah, and we have we're well over halfway into this movie. We haven't seen the Raptors yet. No, they're they're building them very well. Yeah, the the tension and build for the tension is fantastic. Yeah, Muldoon realizes that the Raptors are out there and and she tells Ellie to run for the shed. Yeah, so she gets in there. He's got one of them badass combat shotguns. Looks like a Spot 12, I think. I, so, I, that's what I was thinking, too. Or something very similar. So she gets in there. She can't find Ray. Working her way through. Hammond's walking her through this stuff. And you see this, and you're like, don't turn on the power. You're thinking, don't turn on the power. Don't turn on the power, because everybody's on the electric fence. Yeah, yeah. we, we start alternating scenes between Grant and the kids and Ellie turning things back on. And she starts turning things back on. And of course, just because this is how everything works, the one to the fence is the very last switch. Yeah, the per- the perimeter fence is the last one. Because of course it is. So Grant and Lex get down, and uh, Tim's scared. I think we're, he's scared of heights or something like that. Something like that. So he he's they're like, "Come on, I'll catch you. Let's go. Come on, because it's electric fence." And while this is going, hey, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Button press. Button press. Button press. Button press. And just when you think Tim's going to be okay, she hits the last button. The electric fence pops on, and it hits Tim with electricity, and he goes flying. Yeah, yeah that was that was scary. Uh, Alan's about to... Alan can't catch him. He catches them. They fall on the ground. But unfortunately, Tim's not breathing. So he's got to do CPR. And while, before, while he's doing the CPR, she hears the... Uh, she's trying to go. All the lights come on. And she backs up. And she feels a hand. She goes, oh... Mr. Arnold, so glad to see you. And she turns, and all it is is just Ray's arm, his hand in his arm. Yeah, there's yeah, there's another raptor in the bunker in the shed with her that she's been running from before before the arm falls on her. And she realizes that's all that's there. And in doing the research, I found out that uh, Samuel L. Jackson was supposed to have this big brutal scene where he's eaten up by the raptors, but the set got destroyed. Oh. So he was actually supposed to have a kind of he was supposed to have a uh, death scene as well. I didn't know that. That's another another anecdote. Thank you. And then this is where you finally see the raptors for the first time, and they're scarier than shit. Yeah, Grant drops the kids off at the visitor center, finds Ellie, and we cut to the kids eating, at, eating and then the raptors show up. So they, they know what to do now. 
But yeah, she's able to see it. Before that, Muldoon's in the in the uh, brush, and he talks about how they hunt pats, and he's he because he sees he falls for it because he sees he sees the brush and he looks to his side and the raptor comes out. And this is where I get the clever girl quote from. Yes, because he looks and he goes clever girl, and as he turns to go point the shotgun at him, it leaps at him and they just they eat him to death. Yeah, he's gone. Muldoon went out like a boss though. He did. I loved Muldoon. Like I said, he respected his adversary. Yeah, Muldoon was one of my favorite characters. So anyways, everybody's back. We finally get Ellie back. Everybody's back. Yes. We need to figure out how to get everybody off of the island because we're trying to get a hold of everybody because the phones are working and everything. So the kids are sitting there and they're eating and they're having a good time. And all of a sudden they start hearing the noise. And we get to one of the last, but not yet last, iconic scenes of this movie. Yeah, the raptors in the kitchen. The kids, they they uh, they get into the thing. The kid, the, the, the raptors start chasing the kids. They get into the kitchen. They close the door, and there's this scene where everybody else is in the control room. They're trying to figure out how to uh, escape. And Nelly's like, "Well, I think they'll be fine because as long as raptors don't don't learn how to open doors." And what happens? The raptor opens the door into the kitchen. And there's two of them, because when they find out, there's three raptors out there. Yeah, one of them was it. Yeah, the, there was the one in the maintenance shed with Ellie. The one that got 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 Ray, and then the other two that are now stalking Lex and Tim. Yeah, so we know there's there's three Raptors out there, and this scene is just fantastic. Just shows you how good how good actors these kids were. Yeah, they sold this so well. Between Tim and Lex, they're actually able to stop one of the Raptors because with the with all the power off, the freezer, everything in the walk-in freezer starts to melt. So there's there's slippery, slushy stuff on the floor. Yeah. So Tim comes in, he slides across the floor, the raptor slides in after him, he scrambles in, Tim gets out, and they actually are able to lock the uh, raptor in the freezer. They lock it in, yeah. So they everybody meets up, and so uh, they come into the control room. The kids are in the control room with them, and he goes to clock, he goes to lock the... Alan goes to close the door, but a raptor stops him, and he can't lock the door because the door's electrically controlled. Right, yeah, so Lex sits down. Lex knows the operating system that the... the because she's a hacker. She specifically wants to be known as a hacker. She actually says the word hacker. Yeah, so she she knows what to do. She just has to find She just has to find the right command. Because Alan and Ellie are trying to barricade the door to keep the raptor from coming in. Ellie's trying to grab the shotgun that's on the floor. Tim's like, just come on. And apparently uh, their, their file system was like a fucking video game. Yeah, like... 90s movies did that a lot. Yeah, remember, everything's in files. You know, I got to find the right file, clackety, 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 or like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna take over the city because I have everything on this floppy. Yes. It's early 90s computer culture. It's it's hokey, but it was cool because it, it zooms in, it flies through. She goes, I find the right file. And at the right moment, she clackety, clackety, clackies. Power comes back on. All the locks come in. You know, the, the phones are up. The power's on. They were able to lock the door to keep the raptor out. So you think they're safe. You would think so, but no. So he calls Ham and he goes, hey, get the coppers ready. We're getting the hell out of here. They end up having to crawl through the uh, the air ducts. They're trying to escape through, through the from the control room outside. The raptor sees this. And they start chasing them. And they come through. Lex is on one of the... the, the the panels, and the the raptor just pops up, headbutts it from underneath, and she's trapped. So yeah, she's dangling now. 
She's dangling. And they actually were able to do this. That was actually a stunt woman hanging by, and they just digitally added uh, Ariana Richards' face on top of it when she looks up. That was very convincing. Yeah, that's just, they just digitized her face over the stunt woman. Cool. So they, yeah, the, like the, the, the stuff that they were able to do in 93 is mind-blowing. Absolutely. So they come through, they get through, and all of a sudden they're hanging because they're in the main atrium, I guess you would call it, of the, the visitor center. Right. They're hanging, they're all off uh, on hanging different parts of this this uh, skeleton of some sort. I don't know if it was a T-Rex or whatever it was. It was a large dinosaur skeleton. They're hanging on, and it starts flying off piece by piece. Each person's on a different part. Right. And they start gradually falling to the floor bit by bit. Tim almost gets crushed, but he doesn't because apparently it was the ribcage, so he's fine. Right. But they're all on the floor. They all start to leave. And this part, I get excited and just... Every time, because it's one of those parts in your favorite movie when you know something awesome's getting ready to come up. Yeah. And you start getting the the feeling in your throat. You know, I you get the little... You know, you get the you get the, the adrenaline tears. Yeah, yeah. Because you know something's about to come up because you've seen this movie and you're you're starting to get excited. Yeah. I get excited. And remember, imagine being eleven years old and not knowing this part's coming up. Oh yeah. How amazing was I I don't remember if I did anything, but I could imagine myself going, Yeah Because they're all in the visitor center. They're surrounded by the Raptors. You're like, oh shit, what the hell's gonna happen? All of a sudden, and here comes the fucking T-Rex out of nowhere because the raptor jumps at him and the, the, the T-Rex is like nope grabs him out of midair and flings him with his teeth this scene was incredible so it's the T-Rex fighting both raptors and of course the other people are like yep we out but they show the fight the T-Rex takes out both raptors and you can see the scars on the raptor, or excuse me, on the T-Rex. Yeah. Because come to find out, you and I talked about this off, 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 off channel. This is the same T-Rex that fought the Indominus Rex at the end of Jurassic World. Right. In canon, the same character. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we talked about that. I, I haven't seen the Jurassic World movies yet. I need to. Oh, they're great. I'm excited for this one. Plus, come on. Dinosaurs. Absolutely, dinosaurs. All you gotta do is tell me in the movie, hey, there's dinosaurs in it. <laughs> okay. Good guys, bad guys, I don't care. You got dinosaurs... I'm going because somebody's getting eaten. Yeah. But this was a cool fight. You remember, this was probably all digital ties, too. But the dinosaur, the, the T-Rex eat, uh, destroys both raptors, and there's this cool scene where he's doing the... And a, and a uh, banner comes down across the T-Rex, and it goes, when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. Yeah, that was a nice little touch to end that scene. And uh, so Jeep pulls up, the gas Jeep pulls up with uh, Malcolm, who's been injured the whole movie. And uh, Hammond. Yeah, he got injured. That's he... when he got thrown through the port john Right. But he goes through. He goes to Hammond. He goes, sir, after careful consideration, I decided not to back your venture. And Hammond goes, yeah, me too. We out. And so everybody escapes. Everybody else that's there escapes and gets on the helicopter and fly out. And then I st- and then the the, the 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 Jurassic Park thing that everybody knows because we're at the end of the movie. The movie's over. Yeah. The kids are falling asleep against Alan. Ellie looks at it and she's smiling. I'm starting to get a little choked up right now talking about this because the, the movie ends beautifully. And he he kind of gets the smirk where he's like, these kids grew on me. Ellie's loving this. And uh, the the main Jurassic Park theme, the do-do-do-do-do. Because he looks yeah. out and he sees the birds because he was talking about how dinosaurs evolved into birds, which we know is true. Right. So you see, I think they were look like they were, looked like they were pelicans. Possibly. 
or something like that. But you just see it, and you just the music hits. There's this gorgeous shot, fade to black. And I'm not kidding when I sat here and I said when I was taking the notes for this, I sat there and listened. To the, I sat through the entire credits just to listen to that theme song. I get why. The great song, great freaking movie. So, I think we've already established this in the near hour and a half. For me, five out of five, eight plus, ten stars, ten out of ten, five stars, two thumbs up. However you want to grade this. I fucking love this movie. This movie is amazing. Holds up 30 years. Everything about this movie, from the the acting, to the cinematography, to the effects, to everything, the tension, holds up. It'll be 30 years next year. Absolutely. It holds up. Every single piece holds up. Like I said, this movie is in my top five, if not top three, of all time. And Bach knows how many movies I've seen in my life. Yeah, you are very much a movie guy. Yeah. This is... I would probably put this top three. Legitimately. And I'm not even joking. This is probably one of the handful... There's a handful of movies you've seen five times. There's probably a bunch of movies you've seen five times, right? Yeah. I bet I if you told me I've seen this movie at least ten to fifteen times, I would not be surprised. Right. And it gets better. It's it's just as good, and it hits me in the right spots at the exact same time every time. Every time I see the 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 uh, Brachiosaurus scene the first time, when they see him for the first time, you know at the very beginning. Yeah. I get choked up when the T Rex comes out at the end. I'm like, yeah, Beatrice. When the, when they when they do the uh, the very end where they're playing the the theme. And everybody's escaping the airplane. I get choked up every yeah. time. For a movie to do that to you every time for thirty years, absolutely, it just shows you the kind of impact it had on me as a person. Right. To the point. To the point. I went to go see Jurassic. This is a part where, like, this is my all-time favorite going to the theater moment. And I've gone to, I've gone to most of the Marvel movies. I've seen so many different, awesome, amazing movies. I got to see Gladiator in the theater. I saw The Raid, which is one of my all-time favorite action movies in the theater. I love the theater. But my all-time favorite moment is I went to go see Jurassic World probably about a month after it came to theaters. Because, once again, Chris Pratt I'm a fan of. Dinosaurs. Vincent D'Onofrio. I mean... Right. Please, don't twist my arm. I was I sat towards the, the back of the theater. And I saw a family come in. It was like, you know, some adults and a couple kids. And I saw a kid just off shadow. Like, I'm not watching the kid. He looked like about 8 to 10 years old. Uh-huh. About the same age as when I saw Jurassic Park for the first time in theaters. So I'm assuming this is the first time this kid has seen Jurassic World in theaters. Right. So just to see the kid, way the kid jumped and threw his arms up and got excited and moved around and jumped around when all the cool dinosaur stuff happened really hit me in the chest because that was me like 25 years prior. Right, right. So as much as I, this movie affects me, I hope that movie of Jurassic World affects that kid that much because that was me when I was 10 years old. I gotcha. So to me, that moment in Jurassic World is the, my all-time favorite movie moment. Going to theater. Cool. Because I, I hope the kid, you know... You hope it sparks something for him. Yeah, like it did for me. Because he, he, I was like, the kid was getting excited, like, especially when you got the dinosaur fights at the end and blue and, oh my God, it's so good. Okay. Folks, we do this with the ratings for TV shows, and we do this with a budget. Big Bot is a very analytical numbers guy. I'm not. So we like to play, how much did this make? So, this movie came out in 1993. And by the way, we do not adjust this for inflation, because according to inflation, Gone with the Wind 
is still the highest grossing movie of all time. It made over $3 billion adjust for inflation. Okay. We, these are non-inflation totals. This movie came out in 1993. It was the highest grossing movie of the year. You can see the legacy that it's given multiple video games, uh, animated series, comic books, toys, six movies in the franchise. Uh, it's in the Library of Congress as in you know the National Film Registry. Like, so you understand the impact this movie has had. Yes. Three, okay, I forgot to give you the budget, which surprisingly, $63 million. Sounds modest for that time. Yeah, which I'm sure adjusted for inflation, it's more, but you got to consider, 90, for all they did for $63 million? Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, so we give you three guesses, sir. And I, like I said, this was the highest grossing movie of 1993. Okay. Guess one. $300 million. Higher, guess two. Four fifty. Higher, guess three. Six hundred. Not even close, sir. You are one for six. Ow. Not adjusted for inflation. This movie made one point zero three four billion dollars. Holy crap. For approximately four years, this was the highest grossing movie of all time. Oh wow. It was the highest grossing movie of all time. Until Titanic. I, I figured it was going to be until Titanic. It made over a billion dollars. And as of right now, it is currently, according to Canada, United States of Canada, remember again, we don't adjust for inflation. Right. It is still the 37th highest grossing film of all time. Gotcha. And if you go worldwide, it is the 40th highest grossing film of all time. Okay. Actually, the funny thing is, if you look at the highest grossing films of all time, most of them have been within the last 15 years. Considering how much of a spectacle you, the Mar the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been, I don't, I'm not surprised by that. Most of them are actually Marvel and Fast and the Furious movies, honestly. Gotcha. Honestly, the top fifty, two of the uh, Despicable Me movies are on there too. Really? Those are fun. I haven't watched them yet. I think I watched part of the first one. I watched the third one with my family about a year ago. Well, you also have younger younger members in your family too. Yeah, my nephew. Yeah. So. Once again, I need to go get off this high. I just talked about one of my all-time favorite movies for about an hour and a half. And you know what? I'm, I'm happy. So, next week is our Dropkicks episode. We are going over a pay-per-view, so a lot of work on that one. We are doing Super Brawl 3 from 1993, so that's going to be exciting. You've talked about that one, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. That's going to be fun because none of those matches, all but one of those matches are, only one of those matches is under 10 minutes and the last two matches are over 20, so. Right. And then, because I don't know how to schedule properly, we're doing our third TV show in four episodes on episode 14, and this was a show that you wanted to talk about. Yes. We are doing season one of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, Deep Space Nine is the Star Trek that I'm least familiar with outside of the new stuff. So this is going to be a new, it's going to be a new thing for me. Same, like I watched original and Next Generation as a kid. Like I'm not the biggest sci-fi guy. You're, between you and I, you're the bigger sci-fi person. Much so. So you're more sci-fi. I would say I'm more into the high fantasy stuff. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. I dig that more than you do and you dig sci-fi more than I do. Right. So, that's going to be exciting. So, you can find us on Twitter at capital D and capital A Podcast One. We are on 
YouTube every Friday. And every Saturday, you can find us on podcast sites. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, and now, very exciting, we are now on Apple Music. So if you listen to us on Apple, you can now subscribe to us there. And leave us all the thumbs ups and ratings and subscriptions because, you know, the more you do, the more people see us, the higher we'll come up on these weird phantom algorithms. Yeah. So, you also can find me on social medias. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Hover, Twitch, at Xander Invictus. And I'm on most of the same socials at Big Bot. Thank you, everybody, for coming to episode 12 of Dropkicks and Trashes podcast, and we will see you next week. Take care.